It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Tuesday morning to you. What's so good about it? It's Tuesday, right? <laughs> it's okay. Huh. You know, I actually like Tuesdays. To, you know, in at this time of year, Tuesdays quite often mean there's a baseball game, and there is a baseball game this afternoon for Texas. It's just that we know how Tuesdays can be with regard to traffic. We've talked about that at some length, about how it has become uh, since the pandemic. I think you can trace it. You can trace a lot of things to the pandemic. But since the pandemic, for sure, it's become the worst travel day of the week for whatever reason, I guess. Because a lot of folks aren't either going into the offices on Friday and or Monday or just whatever. Tuesday traffic's worse. But that's okay. We go for it. I, I left a little earlier this morning in anticipation of that and made it in. So glad to be here. Good morning and welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn. Uh, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howe is at the football availability with Steve Sarkeesian going on right now. So he's at the uh, availability with Sark. And as soon as that is completed over on campus, he'll be over uh, to join us probably right around the top of the hour. Also, coming up, at the bottom of the hour, uh, I, I mentioned there's Longhorn baseball to discuss, so we'll do, talk a little bit about this matchup with uh, Air Force and uh, where things are in the grand scheme on the Big 12 Conference. We'll do that coming up, but at the bottom of the hour, uh, our first in-season weekly update with Gene Watson, the assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals, to talk some early impressions of some Major League Baseball, what's going on so far. And apparently the buzz phrase in Major League Baseball through the first few days is, quote-unquote, the clock, the pitch clock, and how it has made a major difference early. So we'll talk with him about that. Uh, And this is how I knew that the clock was making a – uh, difference. I'm one of those because I, I I do really like Major League Baseball, so I, I'm one of the subscribers to uh, that MLB Extra Innings package. So I have all of you know get get all of the the telecast of all the teams, and routinely in the evening, say after I don't know after Linda and I may have dinner, or if I'm doing some work or something like that. Uh, in the case of yesterday evening, uh, it was a combination of uh, we went to grab some dinner, but also uh, we had to we have to make that dreaded Costco run every now and then. So we had we went and did that, and then when we came back, uh, it was right at the time for the national championship game to start. So I had that on, and obviously we'll talk about that as well. Uh, but when it got near the top of the hour, near the top of the nine o'clock hour. 
Two things are happening for me as a baseball fan. A, as a Dodger fan, the Dodgers were getting ready to start against the Rockies. But more than that, usually right around that time is about the time when the early games are in the late stages, seventh, eighth, ninth innings. I'm talking about those 5.36 o'clock starts. So, like, say, Yankees-Phillies, Padre, I mean, uh, Pirates-Red Sox, uh, were a couple of, there were there were some other there were three or four others, so I go to flip over just to see how those games are winding down. Yeah, all of them were done except one. The the one, only one that wasn't done was Pirates Red Sox, and it was seven to six. That's why, and and it still wasn't at three hours. It was seven six in the ninth inning, and I think it wound up being just over three hours. So there's there's how I noticed the difference as well. So anyway, we'll talk some Major League Baseball coming up with uh, Gene Watson, assistant general manager for Major League Scouting for the Kansas City Royals. That's coming. Reds-Cubs was one of those games that had finished. And that was a 7-6 game. Twins-Marlins was an 11-1. So there were a lot of runs scored, but these games are moving quicker. Uh, there's no question about that. And then, like I said, uh, Yankees-Phillies was done as well. So those were three that started either at 5.30 or 6 o'clock. And, and then the fourth one was the uh, Pirates-Red Sox, and that was the only game still that was – uh, going on there. Our producer is Cameron Parker, our man behind the glass. How you doing this morning, Cam? Hello, friends. Hey, look at you. Yeah, you're channeling your inner Jim Nance. Uh, by the way, there's another game, uh, Rays National. That was another one I was checking on. Done. It was already done. Tampa Bay had won 6-2. So, um, so when you say... And first of all, to the Specs text line, 337 5123 Three seven three seven seven six. Somebody asked me because they know, as I said, a self-professed long-suffering Dodger fan is Walker Bueller still hurt? He's still recovering. He's still in rehab. Remember, he had Tommy John surgery, so his projected return I don't think is going to be until about August because it happened during the summer when he had it. Now you're in the twelve to fourteen month time frame. And I was talking about this with David Pierce, the Longhorns uh, head coach, with regard, uh, certainly, uh, you know, with with the way that surgeries can drag out in the case and recovery and rehab. In the case of Tanner Witt, you know, folks wondering, you know, when when might he be back? He's on schedule. Let let's just say that he's on schedule, and the schedule way on back. Call for because remember it happened last year very early in the season, uh, like first weekend in March I think. So he's on track to perhaps being available maybe by the end of the month, something like that, and maybe he could give Texas some help. But there's there's no rush on that, and they're not rushing him, and they're gonna they're gonna follow the science and the doctors and the and the uh, rehab uh, plan. And procedure, nobody's going to accelerate any timetables where that's concerned. They're they're just not going to. They're going to take their time on that. So that's that's where uh, that might be right now. So um, so so I, I mentioned to get back. I was watching some of that, but obviously I was watching the national championship, the NCAA basketball tournament championship game last night. I'm sure you were watching that. Now you said, Cam, you said hello, friends, because this is after all Masters week. But Jim Nance always says, hello, friends. It doesn't matter what the sport he is. And he'll still be doing the NFL, and he'll still be doing uh, the golf schedule, even though he called his final national championship game and the completion of his last Final Four 
last night. I don't think I could handle Nats not doing the Masters and the NCAA, NCAA tournament going forward. That that'd be too much to lose him dropping out. If he dropped both sports. of them, yeah, the, too much. The, the way that he has explained it in interviews, of course, he um, he remarried a few years ago and he's got small kids and he wants to spend more time with them, and so he's he's just cutting back on his schedule by taking out the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he's doing that. But he's still obviously going to do his NFL schedule, and he's still doing his PGA Tour schedule. So so in that respect, when you say hello, friends, you're you know, you're know you still very current with that, and that's a good thing. A little bit of both. His sign-off last night brought some brought a little tears. Not gonna really? Lie. You got a little, a little verklempt, little, did you? Just a little bit. Got a little, little choked up, did you? Yeah, I think he did too, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it had to be. Um, so, uh, so the, And did you watch One Shining Moment? I did not. Really? I did not catch it. You didn't You didn't stay all the way through the end of it there? I saw the sign-off, and then I did something, and I came back. Because remember, was... they come back to the on-set deal with Greg Gumbel, and mm-hmm. then all the other guys get to do their, their long kiss goodnight. So, you know, Chuck Barkley and, and Kenny Smith and Clark Kellogg, Jay Wright, they all did their big sign-off. And then he kicked it right to oh, okay. one shining moment. I, I got Hopefully. to that part, and I turned on Succession because I won the, re- I got the last you. episode. Okay. So. okay. Uh, Texas was represented. Good. Uh, there were there were two or three shots. You had to look quickly on some of them. One of them, there's a good shot of Rodney Terry uh, on the sideline clapping his hands. There's, there's that. Then there are two other shots uh, that I could tell. Well, there's actually three, but one happened so incredibly quickly. I had to roll it back and freeze frame it. At the part, hit the music, hit the one shining moment music, because I'm going to tell you where this one thing uh, happens uh, in the one, once they started playing it. Because it starts off with the montage, you know, and they're running down the tunnels and getting ready and going on the floor, and the fans are jumping up and down, and the bands are going, and all of that. So, yeah. Okay. So this is happening, and they're running down. The tunnel and the band, they always sync it with a band doing this. And then they showed all these te- these sets of teams going to the center circle to jump it. And when it gets to this part, obviously, when the ball is tipped, when he says that, there's one. I would not have known that Texas was in it, except you could clearly see the other guy getting ready to jump was the big fella from Colgate. So then I went back and I was able to freeze frame it and see Dylan Mitchell getting ready to do it. So so then this is going on, and and it was pretty early where they show Rodney Terry, you know, clapping his hands there along the sidelines. And uh, and and it, it was a good montage with a lot of different things, uh, obviously, uh, showing the, you know, the upset of uh, Fairleigh Dickinson and showing Princeton and uh, showing some of that early stuff. Uh, and then, um, then, then there was the uh, the point where you see Dylan DeSue come over, and you've seen the shot by now where he slaps the Texas advancing board on the tournament when after they beat Penn State when he had the the monster game. You see him do that, and his teammates are jumping. There is also the briefest of shots of Timmy Allen's half court shot. Uh, against Penn State. It's just it's it's just so brief. You have to go back basically freeze frame it. Otherwise I mean it's it's less than a second. It might be less than half a second. It's it's really, really quick. And uh, 
then, you know, while this is going on, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing that no-look pass for Marquise Noel on the lob slam for K-State, and then uh, you're seeing, you know, some of the other ones. And then, as they invariably do, they whittle it down to the Elite Eight. And there was one other shot. Yeah, uh, Ty mentioned it earlier. I heard uh, Ty Henderson mention this. That inbounds pass and went off of Timmy Allen's butt and Miami gets it there in the lay-in. Yeah, there was that. And then they show them in the Final Four. They show each of the four teams in the Final Four. Then they go to Dance's call on the Lamont Butler game winner there. And then they, then they, you know, they get down to, um, you know, the championship game, and they show that, and it's just, you know, you can tell they just they've had it right to the end. And then when they get to this part, you hear Nance say, "UConn and the Huskies, blah blah blah, the dream, the national championship," and then it ends out there. Did it was the one of the final shots was the Yukon three the dagger three did they put that in there uh the one the uh, not that one there was the uh, the earlier one where the behind the back or between the legs, legs pass yeah. yeah for the screen for the three because yeah. they got to get that thing edited in together quick you turnaround. know yeah it, it's a pretty quick turnaround so they they did do that um so anyway that was uh that that was it for last night and and uh, you know I've I've never minded I know that uh, was it. Our good friend and colleague Rod Babers. I don't think he ever liked the song. I think maybe he was okay with the montage, but just didn't like the song. Uh, uh, you know, but it has that one thing. It's only identifiable of one thing, but everybody knows what that one thing is. So that's why it. That's why it has its uh, iconic place, if you will. And uh, and Jim Nance done. Uh, hung it up after last night and uh, for, for basketball. But again, you'll hear him, as Cam said, say, hello, friends, because the Masters is this week. Um, I heard Bucky and Aaron talking about this. The Champions Dinner is tonight. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up the menu with you and Jeff to go mm-hmm. over because I, I feel like you guys would love Scotty Scheffler's menu this week. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. What we'll do then, we'll wait until Jeff gets here at the top of the hour and uh, – We'll go through that menu, uh, and I, there's probably every reason to, to, to really like that menu, especially oh. if you're from this state, I would say. Uh, somebody asked me, where'd y'all uh, uh, <laughs> crab dinner? Uh, Craig, any recommendations? Yeah, the recommendation is Taco Casa. <laughs> That's what we did because we were in a hurry, and, we just, and Linda likes it, and I like it. People have heard me say that before because it's taco the, casa it's the only taco casa location in the greater austin central texas area it's out there by that costco out there off the toll road there pflugerville in in uh, uh the round rock pflugerville area when you go out there so yeah that's that's my recommendation <laughs> we did that last night that we do endeavor to find better uh some a little more refined dining options but every now and then we don't mind at all at all doing that sort of thing it's okay we're we're, we're quite different to that. Um, so there's there's plenty of that. Um, somebody said, Craig, I didn't know you were a Dodger fan. What made you a Dodger fan? Wow, okay. Uh, well, uh, just to make it short, when I was a kid growing up in North Carolina, and for that matter, you were a kid growing up in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite team? Baseball? Yeah, was it the Braves? Rangers. As a kid in North Carolina, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like any of the Carolina teams because of my dad, and 
I don't I didn't find MLB to be really big in North Carolina until the Braves became pretty good. But by then I was already in high school and we already had the Rangers, you know, yeah. the peak in the early thousand tens where I had you know, I was I was a huge Beltray, Josh Hamilton, U Darvish fan. Yeah. Uh, by the way, let me let me um uh, correct myself. Purple Buffalo's daddy did it. Somebody else. That Taco Casa is actually in Hutto. It's actually in Hutto. It's right off the toll road. And, you know, we'd be on our way back going from the, the Costco and Pflugerville back up to Georgetown. But it is actually in Hutto. You you get off there uh, by Star Rancho at 685. You go up that way, or you just get off on 79 mm-hmm. and then go right there. So that's that's where it is. It's actually um, set. So that's, that's what that is. Um, it's in Hutto. Um, Okay, so because of your dad, you like the Rangers. Yeah. What teams did he like? Uh, Cowboys, and then I guess he's kind of a Rangers fan, but he doesn't really follow baseball too okay. much. He's a bigger Spurs fan than anything, but I'm an OKC okay. fan. So the only thing we really share is Cowboys and then UT. Is your dad a native Texan? Yes, Georgetown. Okay, okay. so when you were living in North Carolina, mm-hmm. he had transplanted all of his – yeah, I was with my Texas. mom in North Carolina. I got you. He was yeah. still back in Texas. I got you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, to when I was growing up in North Carolina, this is to the texter's question about becoming a Dodger fan. There weren't any real – I grew up in Greensboro. So the closest major league team, the Braves were 330 miles away. Atlanta's 330 miles away. Uh, and when I was a little kid, there were still the Washington Senators there before they moved to Arlington, and that was about the same distance. And both teams were awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, the Senators were bad toward the end, and then they end up moving to Arlington in '72. Um, and, and the Braves had one good year in '69 when when Hank Aaron had a had a monster year, and they won the West the first year that they split the uh, major leagues into divisions. But they lost to the Miracle Mets in the National League Championship Series, and then the Mets, of course, won the World Series. But the Braves weren't very good yeah. uh, during that time, and this was before the advent of Superstation where you saw the Braves all over. So we got almost no baseball on TV other than the Saturday afternoon NBC Major League Baseball game of the week. That was my baseball experience. I'd get that. They added Monday Night Baseball, early 70s. NBC did for a few years, and then ABC did in the mid-70s. And uh, and so that was something else. So it was like a real treat for me to just to get the, the one game. But my dad had told me stories. My dad grew up a Yankees fan because Yankees were kind of an America's yeah. team thing. And even though he grew up in North Carolina, he was a Yankees fan. And he went to two World Series when he was stationed in New York in the Army in 1952 and 1953. Uh, you could get in to the World Series on your GI ID that he had for $1 and sent in the center field bleachers. Wow. That's before they figured out that the white shirts with a backdrop made it difficult on the batter's eye. So they stopped, you know, letting everybody sit directly out in center field, but he he did that for a buck. In 52, he went to a game, and in 53, he went to a World Series game, and it was Dodgers-Yankees. So when I was a kid, he was telling me all these stories about the great Yankee teams and the Dodger teams, and uh, and I kind of liked that. And then um, the first package of baseball cards ever opened up, ever, the first card, there was Bill Russell, who was the shortstop for the Dodgers. And back then, that color was my favorite color, like a lot of kids. Like like my, my oldest son, his first, no longer, but his first favorite team was the Jaguars because he liked the uniforms. <laughs> he has since, you know, changed over to the Cowboys, but that was his first favorite team. So uh, that that was it. I was kind of hooked. I had the little poster that came in the baseball cards in the 1970 um, Tops series 
of Willie Davis, and I loved outfield. I played outfield, so the center fielder, he was my favorite player, was Willie Davis. So that's that's kind of how I became, and I just stuck to it yeah. the rest of the time. You know, I rode off to the Dodgers to see if I could get an autographed photo. They sent me this big old thick packet with it autographed five-by-seven color photo of Willie Davis and the schedule and all this other promotional stuff, which I thought was really cool. So that, that's how it was, and I just stayed with it ever since. I felt like growing up at NC, there was a lot more Yankee and Red Sox fans, and there were there was a split between Braves and some, yep. you know, some Nationals fans, but yep. for the most part, I didn't find baseball to be that big of a sport. We had the Charlotte Knights, who yep. used to play AAA. actually in Fort Hill, so yep. technically they're Charlotte Knights, but they played Down South there by Carowinds. Yeah, the now park. they're now they're downtown. I believe it's BB and T Park, which is yeah. a beautiful minor league ballpark. If you have ever been or you haven't been, check that out. But it didn't seem like MLB was a was a big sport. But maybe maybe now because the Braves have had so much success, mm-hmm. it's changed. But Superstation changed a lot yeah. of that uh, for a while, where folks kind of you know became uh, became fans of it. So. Uh, uh, somebody pointed out that Jim Nance thanked uh, the, the folks last night on the broadcast by saying, thank you for being my friends. And it said, and it, it, it got me in the feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for being my friends. So, uh, so anyway, uh, somebody said, I said it once and I'll say it again. That song was life-changing. Yeah. Um, let's see. Was your gas station at Fort Drum? Fort Drum. I don't know that. It's a climb to glory. You'll have to help me on that. I don't know that. Uh, so, so I said, have you been an a- ever asked to speak in a filibuster? You would kill it. Yeah. Hey, listen, Bizarro Dale Dudley, I can go around the garage to get to the barn. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let me tell you what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to visit with Gene Watson, the uh, uh, assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals, and uh, we'll... We'll uh, take a look at the early returns so far, what's happened with Major League Baseball, his questions, his thoughts on that. We do have Inconceivable coming up later this hour, and then, of course, uh, Jeff Howe will be in after the uh, Sark media availability, and we'll talk some Longhorn football. We'll have a Longhorn notebook on that. Do have a brief Longhorn notebook coming up this hour as well. All that and more coming up when we continue with Light the Tower here on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Didn't you always want to be a pimp so you could do this? just this part here? Too much for the man. He couldn't take it. So wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, Gladys Knight is great. But wouldn't you want to be one of the pips? Gladys Knight the pimps? Just so you could do this with going. He said he's going back to find. Going back to find. Love that. <laughs> I really love when they do the train uh, the horn coming up here. Because he's, after all, going on the, leaving on the midnight train to Georgia. 50 years ago, 1973. Leaving. Leaving. On that midnight train to Georgia. Leaving on. Midnight train. Yeah. Said he's going back. Going back to find. To a simpler place in time. Oh, you see him. Right by his side. I know you will. On that midnight train. Right here. Midnight train. Right here. Woo hoo! I'd 
Tuesday here on uh, Light the Tower. Good selection there, Cam. Oh, this wait, one more right here, right here. <clears throat> this part. Superstar, but he didn't get far. Uh, all right. Uh, before we get to uh, visiting with with uh, before we get to visiting with Gene Watson, let's uh, move on to our Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook. Uh, the uh, Longhorns do have a baseball game today, and uh, it's uh, it's an afternoon game, four o'clock this afternoon at UFC Dish Falk Field, and you can hear the game on AM twelve sixty. And 101.9 FM. So if you are not at the ballpark and you want to tune in, AM 1260, 101.9. Uh, Longhorns take on Air Force. Remember, they played Air Force four times last year. They had a double midweek and got clobbered in the Tuesday game. Then came back and, and held on barely uh, or won the Wednesday game in a walk-off. Uh, and then uh, after that, uh, played them again in the regional and beat Paul Skeens, who is now an All-American at LSU. He's transferred there. So um, uh, beat them in the uh, regional opener and then played them in the uh, regional championship game and beat them 10-1 to in the final there. So they ended up winning three of the four games. Uh, but they were uh, they were pretty formidable last year. A little less formidable right now. They're 11-18. And, 18, and uh, some of their, uh, their pitching has struggled a bit uh, uh, right now. A 7-1-2 team ERA. So uh, that's... They have a Tuesday game, then it's a quick turnaround because of the holiday weekend. It'll be uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday games taking on uh, Kansas State this weekend. 6.30 Thursday night, 6.30 Friday night, and it is a noon game Saturday. It's listed as 2.30 in the schedule, but it's a noon game. Uh, noon game because it uh, it got shifted for that, I believe, for K-State's travel purposes. So it's a noon game on Saturday. But again, this afternoon, 3.45 airtime, and it is a 4 o'clock first pitch uh, on AM 1260 and uh, 101.9 FM. Okay. Uh, like I said, I wanted to get the early, and, and, and we're checking in with him every week. We started this during spring training and uh, checking with in with him to get his impressions on what he is seeing so far out of Major League Baseball. He, of course, is assistant general manager and uh, director of Major League Scouting there, assistant GM for the Kansas City Royals. That's Gene Watson, who joins us now on the Vaqueros Camp, Cafe, uh, Cafe and Cantina Hotline. How you doing this morning, Gino? Good morning, Mr. Way. How are you? I'm awesome. i just just doing well. And uh, Can I yeah. ask you a question? Can yeah. I ask you a question? Yeah, absolutely. Why is my, fo- my, why is my phone blowing up saying you were... Singing Gladys Knight. <laughs> well, singing is you know, a re- anymore, but my phone is blowing. Up. Singing is a relative <laughs> term, you know. As it was always said about me, I can carry a tune. I just don't know where to drop it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, it, it, you know, you, you're you're significantly younger than me, but uh, but that was fifty years ago, and and uh, when that was such a big hit for Gladys Knight and the Pips, so. <laughs> so yeah, well, the reviews are good. I mean, I've got friends texting me saying, "Tell Craig he's great." No, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. It, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, been fun so far on 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 the major league front, and I've got to get your thoughts on this. We talked about it during spring training, and uh, and and we were seeing it then. You, of course, being the scouting maven that you are, have seen this developing over the past, uh, you know, year, two years, whatever as as 
baseball has moved toward the pitch clock thing, and you saw it at the minor league uh, level. So I'm sure you're not surprised by this, but with the length of major league games way down, what the Rangers-Orioles game last night was two hours and 21 minutes, kind of unheard of to see to hear major league games be that short. I, I know a lot of fans are, are finding this uh, very much to their liking, even though it drew so much um, negative attention before it started about, you know, from a lot of the baseball purists that it's timeless, it's, it's you know, it's it you can't put a clock on all, all, all that sort of stuff. But it's been pretty impressive so far. But your thoughts on what you've seen in terms of starting off the length of baseball games? Well, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I was completely against it the first time I ever heard it. Uh, and now I would tell you it's it's probably – I actually said it to my wife this morning – it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to Major League Baseball. Uh, it it has just uh, it's just changed the game from a uh, excitement standpoint. All of the rules, really, but it's really done a lot for pitchers that probably worked too slow and hitters that were probably a little bit too methodical in their pre-pitch. It's just been unbelievable. Now, as the as the son of a single parent mom who saved all year long to take me to one Ranger game a year. I didn't want a two hour and 20 minute game. And I think you're going to, you're going to see some organizations kind of massage the ballpark experience as far as like, uh, I know that clubs are selling beer and any longer. Uh, I know that teams are opening up the ballparks earlier. I know as the summer months begin to come, teams are going to start to have like movie nights and things go, you know, more fireworks experience just to have the overall ballpark experience to remain the same, even though the game is shorter. But from a player performance standpoint, I think we've seen a lot of positives in that pitchers that were kind of too methodical are now, I got to get the ball and I got to go. So it's probably been one of the best things that could ever happen to the game of baseball in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I know uh, folks have gotten excited about it. And, and maybe it's because – Gene, that that folks thought there was going to be this gigantic, big, uh, noticeable difference, and everybody was going to feel rushed and pushed. And and to be quite honest, I haven't seen that. It's just moving a little um, faster because of the pitch clock. Here's here's an example of what I'm talking about. I, I obviously later in the in the evening after the national championship, I was watching a lot of the Dodgers Rockies game, and, and Joe Davis was working the telecast uh, with Oral Hershiser, and they were pointing. Alex Vessia was on the mound pitching for L.A., and he pointed out that Vessia last year his average average time between pitches was 25 seconds, and he said it was easily the longest on the ball club. Well, of course, you got the 20-second clock now, and you see him working quicker. And by the way, he looked really good and effective on out there. So it's subtle things. It's just a little less time on the mound for a pitcher before he's in into coming to the play. It's a little less time in the batter's box that we used to good-naturedly joke about, about uh, scratching oneself and repositioning oneself and all that other kind of stuff. And Mike Hargrove, for old school Ranger fans, remember they called him a human rain delay and Nomar with what he did with the batting gloves and all that kind of stuff. It's those kinds of things that have been streamlined, haven't they, that, that's making this game move quicker? No question. And for a lot of the pitchers, it's really allowed them to get out of their own way and know that they uh, can make pitches quicker. And I tell you, from a scouting standpoint, 
I've almost, I've almost got to let the inning end before I write down all my notes. So you got to watch the game longer. I know that I've talked to a number of major league pitching coaches where they're constantly charting in between pitches. It, it's changed the way that everybody is doing their jobs in major league baseball. It's, it's been a real positive so far. Yeah. Uh, uh, talking with uh, Gene Watson here, assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals uh, for Major League Scouting. Okay. Uh, let me let me throw some uh, things at you and uh, get some thoughts on this because obviously you're you're seeing it happen all around baseball. Um, nobody really had a better first week, I don't think, offensively than Wander Franco did uh, for the Rays. I think he went seven for eleven. With three doubles, two uh, two walks, and uh, and a home run as well. He's one of those guys I've heard you mention could be an, an, the next uh, big time uh, superstar slash MVP kind of guy. He really is. This this guy's been on uh, the the radar for many many years. It's truly one of the extraordinary talents in Major League Baseball. It would be wonderful if we could see a kid like this on the big stage. Really have a chance to perform, but uh, it's not it's not surprising to those of us that, that, that scout and watch Major League Baseball every day that he got off to a hot start, and, and he's just a tremendous talent, and they're playing extremely well out of the gate. Uh, the flip side of that is, even like the guys that aren't performing right now and the teams that are off to a slow start, the bigger two components of the game right now are you've got so many players that are coming out of the World Baseball Classic that may have not gotten the at-bats that they would have gotten um, in regular spring training, that you're looking at a lot of offensive numbers that are very, very low right now, and the number of injuries that have taken place the first two weeks of the season and the last two weeks of spring training has been very, very high. So I think from the high standard of what, like, Wander Franco is doing, I don't think that's very surprising. And then the guys that aren't performing so far out of the gate, I don't think you can – really hit the panic button yet with all the weather and the number of injuries and, and the time that was missed because of the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, I, I, and uh, one of those guys, not from the WBC, but one of those guys who has a new destination uh, and is slow out of the gate is Cody Bellinger with the Cubs. I think I saw he's 0 for 11 to start the season uh, with one RBI. And, of course, he he battled injuries in the past and had a slow start last year uh, with L.A. as well. But sometimes when guys get new destinations, it takes a little while to get going, doesn't it? it Craig, and it, for big leaguers it does. I mean, you're, you're in a new city. You're coming from spring training. You're trying to find out where you're living, your, your, your teammates, your way to the ballpark, just getting comfortable with, with the new and one of our ex players, uh, Whit Merrifield, commented last night about how when you go to a new destination, the relationships have already been formed and those the inside jokes and the comfort level is there and you're kind of like this outside guy looking in and then as you go through spring training, you get into the season, you get forty, fifty games in, now you feel like one of the guys. And it, it for for minor leaguers it's incredible. Like if we know a minor league player is starting at a new level to start the season, we're very lax with the evaluation. They're just trying to find their way to the ballpark, their roommates, how where they're going to live, they're away from home, homesick. So for major league players, the pressure of performing to the contract in a new city with new teammates and the expectations is extremely high, and it's not easy for anybody to do. And I know Cody's going to do great. I know he hit a home run yesterday and 
he'll settle in and do a great job for that ball club. Yeah, uh, and toward that end, I'm glad you brought this up with regard to minor leaguers getting adjusted. Uh, so, again, I'll refer to the, the game I was watching last night, and Michael Grove started for the Dodgers. He And Longhorn fans may recognize the name. He pitched for West Virginia, did a really good job in the games against the Longhorns. They pitched. He got called up late because they've had to put Tony Gonsolin on the injured list. So he gets a start and gets into the fifth inning, I think, and, uh, you know, and left on the short end, but the Dodgers scored seven runs after two outs and nobody on in the fifth and wound up beating the Rockies. So he ends up getting no decision out of that. But he was a guy, and Joe Davis was telling the story, he had just picked out a brand-new apartment in Oklahoma City because he's going to be at AAA, and he gets the call, oh, hey, uh, we're sending you a plane ticket, get to the airport, you're flying out. Give folks a little bit of an idea about that because you've even been on some of these flights with some of these guys or had to help help get these guys to the big club. How does all this stuff work for guys, a minor leaguer? In this case, Grove had just got his new apartment. Now, you know, what happens there? Uh, You know, depending on the length of the stay, is he up up for 15 days with a big club? That sort of stuff because there's life-altering circumstances that happen with these young guys. Well, the first thing is you get the phone call and you find out you're going to the big leagues, and the next thing is you call your parents, and the next thing is you get a hundred ticket requests from every one of your family and friends <laughs> that you've ever been around for. The, so you're literally your life goes from zero to a thousand just like that. And uh, the social media aspect of it, uh, you know, it's it's truly incredible for these young players and such exciting time for them to you're booking plane tickets you got to get with the traveling secretary because you know your third aunt from uh, uh from 20 years ago they want to come and it's like you're leaving 50 tickets and it's it's very that part of it is the most overwhelming part but then you have to think about arriving in los angeles dodger stadium and performing in front of 55,000 people which is another big distraction and so it, your your heart races uh, 24-7. It never stops, and it's truly an exciting time. And just to hear the stories of kids calling their parents and telling them and, and, and all those great stories is, is something. When you talk about a game where there's only been 20,000 big leaguers all time, it's it's really exciting to see young kids get a chance to do it. Talking Major League Baseball here with Gene Watson uh, here on Life the Tower on the Horn. Okay, uh, question on the Specs text line for our friend John in the Bay. Said, please ask Gene about Bobby Witt Jr. and MJ Melendez. Those two guys are so exciting and provide such a bright future for the Royals. How about your thoughts on their on on their work? <clears throat> Tremendous talent. MJ hit a big home run last night, and that's that's another thing. Both very young players, very gifted. I would call them strong average to good evaluations, uh, which are all-stars for years. Uh, Bobby didn't get many at-bats. I mean, he got two or three at-bats in the World Baseball Classic, so now he's got to come back to spring training and hit the backfields and lead off every inning of the minor league games just to get back into the flow of game ABs. And so it's not an easy thing to do for these guys to go off and not play and come back and, and get caught up from a, from a development standpoint but both extremely uh, young talents. I, I talked to a scout this morning about MJ, and he said, you know, where do you think he's going to play best? And I said, in that batter's box. That's where he's going to play best. And they're they're very gifted players and very exciting uh, about what they're going to be for us in the future. I, I know you also are really dialed into 
guys who have to battle injury and have to play that game of uh, being on the injured list and rehab and all that kind of stuff. And then when they come back, especially if they're a vested veteran, a guy like Chris Sale, having to deal with what he's had to deal with, and his first outing, he had a tough outing. He gave up seven earned runs in three innings. He called it the most embarrassed that I've ever been on a baseball field and it's only his third major league start since the start of last year and just his 12th start since 2019 so I mean that's a guy that there's obviously uh the Red Sox feel there's a lot of uh, value in right now but it's got to be getting a little bit nerve-wracking not only for sale but probably for the big club it's it's so incredibly hard when you've had that many injuries over that long of time just to get, you can throw all the sides and all the bullpens and you can wake up and feel great. And a lot of guys almost don't pitch good until they feel bad, uh, until they've got that wear on their body, until they've got that soreness. And, but it's just even getting comfortable on the mound and working down the slope and, and figuring your body now. And, and there's so much now with, uh, with the edgertronics and, and all the biomechanic movements and everything that goes on, there's so much data and analytics from both sides, from the pitcher standpoint, but also from the hitter standpoint and overlays of a person's, a pitcher's delivery and, you know, pitch percentages by, by count. There's so much information now that for a guy to get back out there in competition, get the adrenaline going again uh, after so many injuries over so very long a period of time, it is not like riding a bike. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take some time, but we know the competitor that Chris Sale is, and it's going to take a little bit uh, to get used to being out there and working down the slope again and, and being prepared for these hitters, but but you know we all know he's going to figure it out in time. There's that uh, old saying about one man's misfortune being another man's opportunity. The Braves having to put Max Fried on the 15-day injury list retroactive to Saturday, the strained left hamstring, and Looky, looky, here comes uh, the Longhorn Bryce Elder up from uh, AAA Gwinnett, and and I know the Braves love him. You've you've, uh, talked to them about in his time that he has spent with a big club as well as at AAA. This guy, you know, I was fortunate enough to do uh, an interview for uh, one of the news channels in Austin when he was at the University of Texas, and this guy is just the consummate competitor. Now think about it when you think about Longhorn baseball. Consummate competitor, highly intelligent, high aptitude to pitch. Uh, though That's what the University of Texas produces when you talk about pitchers. And Bryce Elder is just another one of those guys. He's an incredible teammate. Uh, he's extremely intelligent when it comes to game planning, and he's a tremendous competitor. And those are the, th- the attributes when you talk about drafting a guy and him getting in the big leagues that you're constantly looking for. And Bryce Elder is going to have a very – I've been a big fan for a long time – He's going to pitch in the big leagues for a very long time. And it's not that he's one of those high-ceiling, top-of-the-rotation type arms. He's just a true competitor that competes and a great teammate. And he's going to be a a major league pitcher for a very long time. I'm a big fan of Rice Elder. Uh, how, how good is this Cardinals lineup right now? Uh, they, they, uh, they hit 373 as a team. Uh, over the weekend, they took two out of three from Toronto, uh, which, by the way, had Alec Manoa pitching, Kevin Gossman, Chris Bassett. Pretty good lineup that. Uh, but, uh, you know, and they promoted Jordan Walker, who hits the ball pretty hard as well. How how good is this Cardinal lineup? Sneaky good. And this is a team that, you know, the Cardinals are just unbelievable in, in many ways. One is that 
they're probably one of the most underrated player development systems in all of baseball. Nobody, in my opinion, has developed more players and not all high picks. They've done a tremendous, you know, Ryan Ludwig, a Georgetown resident, is one of the hitting coordinators for the Cardinals, and he is one of the brightest hitting minds that you will, if you sit down and talk hitting with Ryan Ludwig every day, it's one of the best hitting minds that you could ever talk hitting or baseball with. And that was a guy that was kind of the big prospect that didn't pan out that ended up, you know, coming back from injury and having a, an all-star year uh, with the Cardinals and a, a, a very a successful major league career. Well, that's who's working with their hitters. They've just done an incredible job with player development, and, and they just kind of know who they are. They don't boast very much about the way they do things, and they put together a really good major league team every year. John Moselic does a tremendous job. Uh, Matt Slater, they do a great job in St. Louis in team building, creating a great culture in the minor leagues, and they're doing it again this year. And Jordan Walker, in my opinion, will be the rookie of the year in the National League. Just a tremendous athlete, tremendous talent, almost a Lorenzo Cain-type athlete. And uh, they, Tyler O'Neill is one of the best young hitters in the game. They've got great pitching. And this is a team that not a lot of people talk about that, You'll be seeing him in October. Uh, Longhorn fan in Denton texting in. Um, actually, it's um, uh, Bizarre Dale Dudley. He's asking, one. he said, how does it work? And, and I briefly mentioned the Michael Grove thing, who's expected, obviously, to go back to Oklahoma City. But he said, how, do, how does it work with the clubs uh, and if a guy just got a new lease? on an apartment and all of a sudden he goes, I used to travel for work and that was always a pain. Thankfully, my company always paid for it though. Do the, do the big league clubs help them get out of a lease? How does, how does something like that when all of a sudden, you know, they're either being promoted from double A AA to triple A or triple A to the big club. So from double A down, you have about 150 slot, 150 players and you will have like of an apartment with two bedrooms and four beds. And, the club is actually now picking up a lot of the bill. That's one of the kind of the big changes in all of minor league baseball is the expenditures that now the teams are picking up. You know, Major League Baseball cut the number of players allowed in the minor leagues from about 220, 230 now to 180, and there's some that believe it could be cut to 150, 160, which is not good uh, for player opportunities. It's not good for that Gerard Dyson or – Roy Oswalt, who went in the 23rd round. You know, those guys are going to fall through the cracks now. But basically, you have a number of apartments, a number of leases, a number of spots that the club pays for from the AA level down. And at the AAA level, if they're 40-man roster guys, they're kind of on their own, like Michael Grove. But that he went to Oklahoma City. Somebody went from Tulsa to Oklahoma City, and I'm sure they'll work out some financial agreement with the player that comes up and needs a place to stay and He'll stay in Michael Grove's place, and they'll work it out uh, reimbursement-wise. So there's a little bit of massaging of it. But, you know, at the lower levels, it's pretty clear-cut now with all the teams that are that are paying for housing and, and, and more money with food and salary as well. He's Gene Watson, Assistant General Manager of the Kansas City Royals, joins us uh, each week to talk some baseball. Uh, where, where does the week find you this week? I'm headed to – well, we're at MD Anderson today for our – three-month dose of perspective and uh we'll be i'll be in new york city uh through next wednesday and then san diego seattle 
Philly and Nashville to close out the month of April. Sounds like a typical uh, Geno travel schedule. Hey, uh, Sounds like a Craig Way week. Yeah, 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 one of those. Yeah, all right. Hey, I, I appreciate you doing it. We'll we'll uh, we'll catch up with you next week on the road. Thanks. All right, Craig. Thanks so much. Bye. All right, that's uh, Gene Watson, Assistant General Manager of the Kansas City Royals. He does keep a pretty busy travel schedule. All right, uh, coming up, uh, we'll uh, have Inconceivable before we get toward the top of the hour when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019, AM1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. So where do we get to with Inconceivable? A variety of topics, but Cam Parker, our producer, is our leadoff man today. So we let him lead it off with an Inconceivable item. It's a sour one, Craig. So we've talked about in the show in the past about players, you know. A famous spot for you guys? Yes, absolutely. And a great burger joint. Absolutely. Well, for me, players was a before my time, but my favorite spot mm-hmm. was Cain and Abel's. Yes. And it was announced today that it will be demolished at the end of this month in preparation for some new Skyrise condos. It's all been building up over that. And, yeah. and, and you know this from producing us uh, with uh, Longhorn Weekly out there on Rio Grande at Pluckers, the West Campus location. If you pull out there and go, well, you can only go one way. You got to turn left and going uh, uh, going north on it on Rio Grande. When you get up there, <clears throat> it's construction all around it. Construction on the roads, construction on the sides, and there was Canyon Abel's just sitting right yep. there. So, um, did you used to hang out there? Yeah, that was, was one of my favorite spots to go to. <laughs> Dollar Beer Tuesday nights. Um, mm. Love their sliders. So. Got to make it out there one more time, just uh, for old times' sake. Maybe I might. I might. I've never been because okay, I was always go. told that you shouldn't go if you're over the age of like 25 nah, or so. Come on, it's like a student hang hang out. It's like it's like I had it once compared to like a parent going to eat lunch with your middle aged kid, <laughs> you know, in the cafeteria. That it's a real uncomfortable dynamic if you're above collegiate age. Usually, there's at least. A couple of parents with their kids out there. It's okay. fun. If you haven't been before, it, it, it you know it's just a classic college bar. Yeah, yeah. And half the time the food's not working or they're out of something and there's this tap's gone. But that makes it what you know, make such a you know feel like home almost. Sure, absolutely understand that. Uh, John and Vase is back in the day, or no, Jim and Lagavis from Lagavis is back in the day. I'd go to Kane and Abel's to watch the Packers play. Lots of cheese heads in theirs. Okay, so that's that's good to know. Yeah, I heard about that, and that's unfortunate, but. Uh, Anyway, so there it is. Okay, so Cam's all in in into golf, as we know. I, I, I love it as well, but uh, you're, you're really fired up for the Masters this yep. week. Do you know why Masters champions wear green jackets? Do you know the story? Do you know why? Because we see the you know green jacket put on, and 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 just to let you know, all the 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 players, the uh, field uh, has. You know, has themselves measured before. So, if they win, and a guy is say a forty-two long or whatever, you know, they 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 got a forty-two long mm-hmm. regular to 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 fit him on that. And you always have that ceremony in the Butler cabin with the prior champion, the defending champion from the year before, uh, placing the green jacket on the new winner. So, do you know why they get a green jacket? 
I remember, I think it was Sam Sneed who started it, but for the actual reason why he chose the green jacket, uh, I, d- I do not remember. You have to go back farther than that. Okay. But it, the story of the green jacket in Augusta actually began in England. Like okay. so many other things with golf, birthplace of golf, of course, being in England and Scotland, mm-hmm. Scotland really, but in Northwest England, the town of Hoylake, which is where I believe Royal St. Where that's in Sandwich. Trying to one of them's in they're Hoylake. That's so where they're playing the open at this year. Is at Hoylake. Okay, all right, at Hoylake, Royal Liverpool Golf yeah. Club. That's it. Go. That's it. Okay, ahead of hosting its sixth British Open Championship way back in 1930, Royal Royal Liverpool Golf Club held a players' reception, and in attendance was the most celebrated amateur golfer of the era, Bobby Jones. Well, over dinner, Jones was talking with the club, the former club captain, Kenneth Stoker, with questions about his red coat that he was wearing, which was the former uh, uniform jacket, the kit, as they say, of Royal Liverpool captains. And according to an interview, he said, Mr. Jones, if you're so fascinated by this, I will give you my coat if you win our championship next week, said Stoker. So Bobby Jones challenged, went out, and he won it. So he clinched the 11th of his 13th career major victories and returned to the U.S. with a trophy and that red blazer. Mm. So after becoming the first and only golfer to complete the original Grand Slam, which is the, the amateur championship in Great Britain, the Open Championship, the U.S. Open, and the U.S. Amateur, months later... Jonesson stunned the sporting world by announcing his retirement from competitive golf at just the age of 28. But he had other plans in mind. In 1934, his newly founded Augusta National hosted the first incarnation of the Masters. Three years later, Augusta members started wearing green jackets to make themselves identifiable to patrons. And to your point, in 1949, it was decided that that year's winner, Sam Sneed, and all the previous champions would be issued with their own version of the green jacket. So that's how it started. Uh, that you know, it, uh, but it start it started in England, but then it yeah, yeah. like you said, uh, Sam Sneed, the first to start wearing it as a champion after that. But like so many other things with golf, it started across the pond. Yeah. So many so many things in that. And there's a few tournaments, too, like the Byron Nelson, and I believe at the Hilton Head, they also wear, like, plaid, the plaid the colonial. red jacket. The, yeah, colonial. the colonial. Yeah, with the yeah. plaid and, and the Hilton Nelson's Head. Event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's the that, the Byron Nelson one was over at uh, Four Seasons. Mm-hmm. That's in Las Colinas. Well, it wasn't Las Colinas, and they've moved it since. It's been, you know, it was down at... Uh, uh, down there in South Dallas, and then they've moved it again. It's up north. I think it's in uh, McKinney now. And then the Colonial would be after that. In yeah, fact, but wasn't, wasn't Byron Nelson one of the first at Colonial? I know the event's different, but wasn't he the yes. first to wear the jacket yes, there? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Yeah, that is correct. And so uh, so they do the plaid jackets over there as well. So, yeah, that's so there you go with that. Um, okay, you watched uh, the national championship game mm-hmm. last night. Did you see the new astronauts? No. Because they, they honored them before uh, tip-off, I think. They were out there. And then uh, and then they had an astronaut sing the national anthem. But then they later showed them because – and these astronauts are not just your regular run-of-the-mill astronauts. are up at the International Space Station and all that stuff. No, these are the ones who are going to be part of the first 
crewed moon mission mm. since 1972. They were revealed yesterday. So the four astronauts, Reed Weissman, Victor Glover, and uh, Christina Cook, and Jeremy Hansen of the Canadian Space Agency. So Weissman, a 47-year-old decorated naval aviator and a test pilot, first selected to be a NASA astronaut in 2009. Hansen's a fighter pilot who was selected by the Canadian Space Agency for astronaut training in 2009. Glover, 46-year-old naval aviator returning to Earth from his first space flight 2021. And uh, Cook, the veteran of six spacewalks, she was part of the first all-female spacewalk in 2019, holds the record for the longest single space space flight by a woman spent a total of 328 days in space she's also an electrical engineer who helped develop scientific instruments for multiple national missions so this is supposed to be 2025 when they go back wow. to the moon so you know i like to follow the big space stuff um finally we've got one other item and it's just in time and i'm so glad he's back now from the sark availability my co-host the pride of Northwest Williamson County, proud graduate of Florence High School. Yeah, that's School. inconceivable that I'm the pride of Northwest Williamson County. Uh, he's just in time for this inconceivable. You are a collector, sir, Jeff Howe. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've got a uh, got a couple of bangers heading to the mailbox here pretty soon. Well, would you collect this? You have a chance to bid on the white three-piece suit worn by John Travolta. <laughs> In Saturday Night Fever. Uh, negative, Ghost Rider. Not, not on not board that. with that? No, no. Monochromatic Ensemble expected to fetch up to $200,000 when it goes under the hammer as part of the Hollywood Classic and Contemporary Sale organized by Julian's Auctions and Turner Classic Movies in California between April 22nd and April 23rd. Hey, you know what I do like, though? What's that? I do like Carnegie Deli. And their sandwiches in New York. Yeah, right. We've got some breaking basketball news on the other side. Excellent. Might All be right. getting another one of those sandwiches in November. Hey, hey, hey. Get ready for that. Okay, so Jeff might not be into it, but you should know the Saturday Night Fever suit is up for auction later this month. So there it is. All right, second hour. Jeff back from the Sark availability. We'll hear about that. We have, of course, another Longhorn notebook coming your way. We have a Flex 30 update and Jeff's basketball breaking news. All that and more when we continue with Light the Tower here on the Horn. Don't forget, Longhorn Baseball this afternoon, 4 o'clock, and it's on AM 1260 and 101.9. So when folks ask, somebody asks, does that mean ball don't lie is not going to be on? No, no, no. Ball don't lie. We'll be right here on the Horn 104.9 where you hear us live, local and digital, on the Horn app and hornfm.com.